the book of Acts, chapter 2, and beginning at the 14th verse. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah once said, uh, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Um, that is true, um, particularly for parents of six-week-olds, um, as I am. But th- thankfully, he also says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So as I pray, uh, that is what I'm going to pray. We pray that God would speak to each one of us this morning. Our Lord God, we acknowledge that you are the creator of the ends of the earth, that you do not grow tired or weary, uh, and that you love to give strength to those who are tired and weary. So I pray for each one of us this morning, um, whatever state we have come, whatever is tiring us, whatever is making us weary, we pray that you would grant us strength as we hear your word uh, spoken and preached. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the day of Pentecost, which we heard about in Acts 2, is something like the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, or perhaps the the opening night, uh, the first night of the proms. It's a big event in and of itself. Uh, And yet, at the same time, it it sets the pattern and the expectation of all that is to come afterwards. It is uh, often known as the birthday of the church. Uh, And we see this acknowledged by Peter in verse 17 as he quotes from the prophet Joel. We're on page 1093 if you want to have your Bibles open to see this. Verse 17, he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. You see, the the day of Pentecost is the first day of the last days, the, the beginning of an era, the event which sets the pattern for everything which comes after it. And as Peter closes, or as our reading closed, In verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So the events of Pentecost are not limited to that particular time and space, but they are for us today, for all who are far off. And therefore, as we hear Peter speaking, we we see uh, a pattern set for the church. We see the direction set, the vision set for the church, both then and now. And we will also see the power that the church relies on. So firstly, what's the pattern set for the church? What is the church to be? Well, the first thing that marks the church out is that it is fixated on and absorbed by and, and enraptured with the Lord Jesus Christ. In almost every single line of his sermon, Peter is talking about Jesus Christ. In great detail. 
we see him begin with his humanity in verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God. We see him talking of his divinity in, in verse 34 as he quotes David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We see him refer to his life, a life, in verse 22, accredited by God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. We see Peter talking about his death in verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But then we see that God raised him from the dead, verse 24, freeing him from the agony of death. Then Peter talks about his ascension to heaven. Verse 33, he is exalted to the right hand of God. And we see Peter hinting at his eventual return as Lord in verse 35, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in all of this, the the focus is on the person and work of Jesus Christ and is summed up really in his, his purpose in verse 38, the purpose of Jesus Christ, that everyone might repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins in the name of Jesus Christ. You see that the church must maintain the central focus and devotion to Jesus Christ. And we must do so specifically. The, the situation where, where Peter was talking was, was one of potential danger. He, he was speaking, as he makes clear in his sermon, to people who just a few weeks earlier had killed the man he is talking about. Uh, the man who was uh, condemned as a criminal and executed by the state. And he is saying to these people, specifically that that they did it, and this man has actually been declared by God to be Lord and Christ. It is a, a dangerous situation, and yet he doesn't back down. He doesn't soften the edges. He doesn't make it easier for them. He's clear and bold and specific about Jesus Christ because he knows that in him there is hope for life for forgiveness. So the church must first uh, be focused on Jesus Christ. But the second pattern for the church comes in verses 17 and 18. That the church is open to all people. It is open to any who call on the name of the Lord. There are no entry requirements other than that. You see what he says, your, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See, no regard for age or gender or social status when it comes to those who may become members of the church. Absolutely no regard 
for the divisions that we often bring in. The Holy Spirit is poured out indiscriminately upon all who will call on the name of the Lord. And this is to be the pattern for the church now, open to anyone, lowering all the boundaries that we would normally set so that the only requirement for people is that they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But thirdly, for all this to happen, the pattern for the church is that it must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 17. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That the church is created by the Holy Spirit. It is not created by this group of people who got together and decided to start a society or a religious club. No, it's, it's begun by God pouring his spirit out on his people. Think about the Apostle Peter before this day. He was uh, a bold man in many ways, and yet he never finished what he started. In the Gospels, we see him bold one second and then backpedaling furiously the next, jumping out of the boat to walk on the water to Jesus before fearing and falling in and beginning to sink. Uh, The next minute, he's declaring Jesus as the Christ, proclaiming his faith in him, uh, and yet, just minutes later, denying that he would need to die and trying to prevent that from happening. And then when when it comes to the crunch at the end of Jesus' life, Peter stands at the front of the disciples and says, I will stay with you through whatever happens in these next hours. I will be by your side before hours later denying that he's even met Jesus and calling down the most extreme curses to back up his claims. And so when we come to Acts 2, we we see Peter and we think, well, fine, bold sermon now, but surely in a few minutes he'll be falling down, backpedaling, losing it again. But as you go through Acts, you see in chapter 3, he's still bold. And in chapter 4, and in chapter 5, and on and on, because he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is not reliant on his own personality, which is bold one second and falling away the next. No, he's been strengthened by God to continue boldly proclaiming the Lord Jesus. That the church must first and foremost be a group divinely strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the pattern that is set out for the church throughout its history. And it's encouraging to me that as a church we value these things. We place the Lord Jesus and the gospel of his death and resurrection at the center of what we say and do. We long to see people of all ages welcomed here, from the youngest to the oldest. We value the presence of every single member. These are things that we value and love as a church. It is encouraging to see that we are standing in the line and in the pattern that Peter sets out here. 
But the day of Pentecost is also like the starting of a car and not like lighting a firework. See, when you light a firework, you set light to it and you step back and let it go. And it just does its own thing in its own strength. But when you start a car, you have to stay with it until the end of the journey. It may not be driven at a uniform speed. There are times it speeds up, times it slows down. But the person that starts it stays with it. And it's the same with the church. The the Holy Spirit does not come light the firework and then step back and just see what happens over the next few years. No, he, he comes to stay with the church throughout its journey. But there are times when it speeds up and times when it seems like it slows down. We see this in the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost was a a remarkable day. 3,000 people added to the church, just like that. But that doesn't happen every single time. Immediately after this, the, the church enjoys great respect and favor amongst the people they're living with. But that's not always the case. At other times, there's riots. Sometimes the leaders are free to walk around and proclaim the Lord Jesus. And at other times, they're put in prison and killed. There is an unevenness to the history of the church. The constant presence of the Holy Spirit, but the variable awareness of his power and strength. Octavius Winslow, a church leader from the 19th century, put it this way. All that we know of ourselves, all that we know of God and of Jesus and his word, we owe to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. All the real light, strength and comfort we are made to possess on our way to glory, we must ascribe to him. To be richly anointed with the Spirit is to be led into all truth and to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with love to God and man. God has never revoked this gift. He has never removed his spirit from the church. He is still her divine, personal, and abiding resident. But for a larger degree of this reviving and anointing and sanctifying spirit, we do most earnestly plead. The spirit, though the ever-blessed and abiding occupant of the church of Christ and of the individual believer, may not always be manifestly present. There are are times of unevenness through the history of the church. And while we can rejoice in our pattern that we are still in the stream set out at Pentecost, we can also plead with God to work in greater power and strength among us. A man named Robert Murray McShane was a a Scottish minister, he died at the age of 29. And he saw a period of such acceleration of God's work in his parish church in Dundee. The normal pattern of a weekly prayer meeting became almost overnight 39 weekly prayer meetings. Five of those were run by children, four children, from the age of 12 and up. Others were exclusively for the elderly. 
the normal pattern set out at Pentecost, all ages represented, and yet intensified suddenly by God's work. The, the church services, which had been continuing beforehand, suddenly were overflowing with people and had to be held outside. Again, no change to what they were doing, but the transformation of an intensified presence of the Holy Spirit, turning many to Christ. Our work doesn't stop. We don't look for something different. We don't seek for something that is not there. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church. We carry on following the pattern laid out at Pentecost. We, we continue to hold out Jesus Christ at the center of all we do, the only hope for the world. But at the same time, we can plead with God to accelerate his work again. I close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, speaking in 1858 to church leaders. He said, We must confess that just now we have not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we could wish. Many are being converted. I hope that few of us are laboring unsuccessfully, but we are none of us laboring as our hearts could desire. The Spirit is blowing upon our churches now with his genial breath, but it is as a soft evening wind. Oh, that there would come a mighty rushing wind that should carry everything before it, that the church might be filled with life and made up to stand up before the Lord. This is the lack of the times, the grand want of our country. May this come as a blessing from the Most High. Amen.